Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand that gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Lord, help us to know what it means to be salt and light, to be a city set on a hill. Help us to understand that and help us to live like that. Help us to live lives that cause others to bring glory to you. Father, I pray that you would be with me, a sinner in need of your grace. Help me to preach your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus, again, he uses three images as he talks about how we are to relate to the world. He uses the images of salt, light, and a city on a hill. First, we'll look at each one of them in order. First, it's uh, salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What does this mean? How are Christians like salt in the world? Well, there's kind of two ways that generally we often hear about this explained. First of all, Uh, Salt is often used as a preservative. You know, they didn't have refrigerators back in the ancient world. Uh, When you needed to preserve meat, you would add salt to it to, to be able to make it last longer. And so there was that preserving agent. Um, And, and you can understand how the church might be considered something that preserves. Uh, Our culture is often uh, seen as is decaying, uh, falling apart all around us. And our world is a broken world. Uh, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we've introduced death and sin and brokenness all throughout our world. And we see the evidence all around us. So, is Jesus saying here in Matthew chapter 5 that as salt of the earth... We are people who are preserving agents. That we're kind of slowing down the decay in the world. Well, there's another way to look at it as well. What do we use salt for today? It's for flavoring. It's for seasoning. It makes the food we eat taste better, doesn't it? There's nothing like a a nice steak that you rub it down with salt and pepper before you throw it on the grill. And it just brings out all the good flavors. So, in a sense, salt brings out the flavor of, of what you put it on. It, it makes things taste better. So, in a sense, 
believers make the world a better place. We make the world taste better because of our presence here. I lean towards the second explanation, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. The, uh, the reason why, I think, is I don't think that when Jesus was saying these words, he probably had preservation in mind, because the church at that time was so small and so minuscule in its influence. Maybe us looking back, 2,000 years later, and seeing the influence that Christianity has had on Western culture and and society, we can see how the church acts as a preserving agent and slowing down the decay of society. But I don't know that that's necessarily what Jesus had in mind. I'm not, you know, I could be wrong. That's definitely a possibility. But I'm going to lean towards the other, that believers, by our presence in the world, we make the world a better place. We make our communities a better place. By people seeing us in our communities and seeing the works that we do for Jesus, for God's sake, then we make the world a better place and people glorify God because of it. And we'll see that throughout the text. The next image he calls us, he says, we are the light Of the world. And I'm going to go ahead and piggyback on here. We're the light of the world, and he he follows that up, he mixes his metaphors, and he says, We're a city set on a hill. I think those two things are related. A city set on the hill. Think about a, a, a night where you're traveling a long distance, and off in the distance you see this city. This city on a hill with all the lights. And back in the ancient world, they didn't have electrical lights and all those kinds of things. But you had torches and fires burning and all those kinds of things. So off in the distance as you're traveling, you see this city on a hill. And it brings light. There's no way you can hide it, is there? You can't hide a whole city. But it's there. And in the same way, when Jesus calls His people, He calls His disciples, there's a way in which you just can't hide the impact that we have in the world. Think of all the things that Christians have had an influence on. Think about hospitals. How many hospitals are there in the world that have some kind of church named to them, named to it? St. Jude's Hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital, all these different things. And it's because of the influence of people who follow Jesus. Would we, the ancient world didn't have the kind of concern for people as we brought as Christians, into the world. I don't think we would have the kinds of of hospitals and the care for people if it had not been for the influence of Christianity. So, we believers, we make the world a better place by our influence. And it cannot even be hidden, like a city that's set up on the hill, where the lights are shining, and even you can see it from a long distance away, and it brings you joy because you know your journey is about to come to an end. Jesus, then he talks about another kind of light. He talks about a a lamp on a lampstand, like an an oil lamp. You put this oil lamp on a lampstand. Now, we don't think too much about about, uh, uh, flipping a switch and turning on a light bulb. Maybe sometime we might, just for experiment's sake or something, turn on a flashlight and stick it inside of some kind of a basket or, or covering But you wouldn't do that in the ancient world. It's going to cost you. 
right? Oil could be kind of expensive. If you're going to have a light, it's not just a matter of turning on the light switch, but you, you, it's a precious commodity. So you don't light a lamp and then cover it with some kind of a covering, like a basket. It'd be a waste of money. In the same way, we are to let our lights shine. Not to, Jesus makes us the light of the world. He has called us to be the light of the world. He says we are the light of the world. We're not to hide that. We're not to try to cover that. We shouldn't be ashamed of our Christianity. No, Jesus says not, not to cover it with a basket, not to cover it, hide it under a bushel. No. But to put it up on a lampstand. It makes us think of that old song we learned as kids. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Jesus didn't want us to hide our lights under a bushel. No, he says in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to let our light shine, how? By our good works. How do you let your light shine? It's not just by being a positive person. It's not just by being the kind of person that brights up everybody's day. It's the the way you let your light shine is by your good works. Now, I've always been very careful. We're not saved by good works. We're not saved by our good works. We can never do enough good works to save us. But Jesus saved us unto good works. When He has saved us, when He has changed our hearts, when He has put a new heart in us, when He has washed us clean, He has done that unto good works. And these good works are are good works that are supposed to bring glory to our Father who is in heaven. Now you may ask a question. If you know the Bible, if you know Scripture, Jesus is here saying, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Anybody know the problem? Let's look just a few verses later in chapter 6, verse 1, where Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Does that contradict? Jesus, first He says, Do your good works before men. Let your light shine. And then He says, Beware of doing your good works before men. I don't think he's contradicting. It's the same author. It's only a page across in our Bibles. He can't be contradicting. So how do we reconcile the two? Well, Jesus, I think, is is warning of, of 
wanting to bring glory to ourselves. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So people look at us and think, boy, that's a good man. That's a good man. Boy, he's, he's great. Boy, that Jared, man, you believe all the good works he does? Oh, Dorothy. Oh, man, she just, she just does good works all the time. Oh, and Linda, oh, I can't believe how many good works she does. She's just so awesome. No, we, we don't do our good works before men to be looked at, to be, to, for glory to be brought at us, so that people think highly of us. We do our good works so that when people see that, they glorify God. It really comes down to a heart motivation. What is it in our heart? What's motivating us to do good works? Are we motivated because we want other people to see how good we are? Or are we motivated because we want to bring glory to God? Here's a little test. How do you know? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. Often, we all have mixed motives. There isn't a one of us that doesn't have mixed motives. Everybody, you know, we may really have a genuine desire. We want to see God glorified. But down deep, because we're sinners, somewhere in the recesses of our souls, we still think, I like other people to look highly on me. And so, how do we know what the primary motivation is? Well, I'm going to step back again. We all have this tendency. We all have this tendency. We all have mixed motives all the time. So what do we do? We, we acknowledge it. We say, this, this is just true about being a human. We, we like it when other people look highly on us. And so we, we, we acknowledge it. And we, we do the best we can to turn away from it. We confess it before God. And we say, you know, God... I really, I know that my, 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 um, my heart motivations are mixed. Help me, God. Help me to have pure motives. Help me to do good works for your glory. Let you receive all the glory and not my own. That, let that be our prayer. But how do you know? How do you know what your, your primary motivation is? Well, ask yourself this question. Do I get upset when people don't notice? Do I get upset when people don't notice that I've done this good work or that good work? If our answer is yes, then maybe our heart motive isn't in the right place. Maybe we just need to give that to God and repent of it. Or maybe our, our question, maybe one way to tell is, is your motivation right? Ask the question, do I get upset when someone else gets credit, but I don't? That's another way we can just kind of test our hearts. Do, do we have the motivation of wanting to see God glorified or are really in it all about ourselves? And all of us, at one degree or another, we, we fall into this because we're all sinners. And until Jesus comes and He washes us completely clean, never to sin again, when He comes again and we're glorified with Him, we're going to have that battle with sin. So we, in the, in the present time, we just continue to confess that and we press forward to see God glorified. Our motivation for 
for doing good works should be to bring glory to God. That's what we were saved for. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And when we went through Titus, we came to chapter 2 and in verse 14 it says that Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what He saved us for. We're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works. We're saved by grace. We're all sinners. We're all in need of forgiveness. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we throw ourselves on Him at His mercy. We throw ourselves on Him. We say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need Your grace. I need Your forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins. And He comes and He washes us clean. He purifies our hearts. And He makes us a people who are zealous for good works. God has planned to bring glory to Himself by calling to Himself a people for His own possession that are His. They're the sheep of His pasture. And He has saved us to do good works. Now what are these good works? What kinds of good works can believers do today? There's lots of different things. We need to do the kinds of works that nobody would do if it wasn't for a radical abandon for Jesus. Yeah, everybody can do good works. But there's some things that only Christians would do. I'm going to tell a little story. Um, David Platt, he's now the president of the IMB, the International Mission Board with the SBC. And he, before he was there, he was pastoring in Birmingham, Alabama, and he records this story. One day, I called up the Department of Human Resources in Shelby County, Alabama, where our church is located, and asked, how many families would you need in order to take care of the foster and adoption needs that we have in our county? The woman I was talking to laughed. I said, no, really, if a miracle were to take place, how many families would be sufficient to cover all the different needs you have. She replied, It would be a miracle if we had 150 more families signed up to help with foster care. When I shared this conversation with our church, over 160 families signed up to help with foster care and adoption. We don't even want one child in our county to be without a loving home. It's not the way of the American dream. It doesn't add to our comfort, prosperity, or ease. But we are discovering the indescribable joy of self-sacrifice, the sacrificial love for others. And along the way, we are learning more about the inexpressible wonder of God's sacrificial love for us. What motivates people to do that kind of thing? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. What an amazing story. All the needs of an entire county's foster care system all taken care of with one phone conversation. Because their people love Jesus. Now, that was a big mega church. And, and we're a little country church. 
or a normative-sized country church. What can we do like that? Well, we may not be able to do what that church in Birmingham, Alabama could do. And we, we, foster care may not be our issue. Maybe there's something else that we can do. But we are called to live lives of sacrificial love that bring glory to Him. God didn't put Woburn Baptist Church here so that we could be doing things, just doing business as usual, meeting here on Sundays and keeping the doors open, and going home feeling like we did our church thing for the week. God has placed this church here and called us to be a part of it so that He might be glorified in our self-sacrificial works. There's a danger that we can fall into. It's called the social gospel. Maybe, maybe some of you might have that concern. The social gospel it was real popular back in the early 20th century. And basically it reduces Christianity down to just an ethical component. About, about helping the poor. About all the kind of social things. And it really forgets what the blood and the cross were all about. And basically when you do that, when you reduce Christianity all about doing about doing things to alleviate poor and suffering and all those kinds of things, and you forget to preach that Christ was crucified for our sins, we end up with another kind of moralism. We end up just doing things so that we can gain favor with God. In order to really have the right motivation, we have to remember why we're doing it. Why are we bringing glory to God? Why are, we, wait, why are we doing these works to bring glory to God? Because Jesus died for us. Jesus gave up His life for us. He left the riches of heaven and became poor so that we might be rich in Him. He left the comforts of heaven and became dejected, became very uncomfortable so that we might be comforted by the Holy Spirit. That we might have the comfort of a clean conscience, of forgiveness of sins. What can motivate us to work good works that people look at and they ca- it causes them to ask the question, why do you do that? The reason for the hope that is in us that we can give them is because Jesus gave up everything for us. We have experienced His generosity so much that we can't help but to be generous. That's what will make us the light of the world. That what's that I I should I said will make us. That what that's what makes us the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the world. You can't hide that. So Jesus says, let our light shine. We can try to hide it. We could could be ashamed. We could let our mission drift. We could be absolutely sold out radically to give generously, to live lives that are sacrificially giving because of what Jesus gave for us. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.